Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Chamat Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and it's been a bit of a quiet seven days or so in the sport of MMA, but um, I know we've both been pretty busy. Uh, Sandu is, is laying up uh, in a slight state of injury. I've contracted some sort of horrible cold thing, which is why I sound slightly croakier and uh, a bit more like Barry White than I normally do. Um, but yeah, we're still here. We're keeping this thing rolling. How's things over there, Sandy? You've done yourself a mischief, haven't you? I have, mate. It's classic. I've, I took some. I took delivery of some gym floor mats, ironically, uh, to kind of start building my my home gym. And as I was taking delivery of these mats, I awkwardly was, was kind of shifting them up the stairs, and my, my lower my lower back went out. So I've been in some discomfort uh, for the last couple of days. But listen, Ao. It is what it is. I've had a million back injuries over the years, so I'm kind of used to it. I know what it takes to kind of get through it. Um, and I think I'm through the worst of it. The first couple of days are always the worst. Um, and so now I'm just on the road to recovery. Uh, but I was going to ask you, Simon, you know, there was no UFC this weekend. There was no Bellator, none of the big boys. Obviously, there was you know tons of regional MMA uh, going on around the world. But without the major players involved, I was just kind of thinking we should maybe talk about what we got up to because it's quite a rare thing for us to not talk about something. Usually when the UFC isn't on, Bellator is on, right? Yeah. It's quite it's quite rare for them both to be inactive over over the course of a weekend. No one championship, no Ryzen, any of that kind of stuff. No cage warriors for the local circuit back home in the UK. So, so how was your weekend, Simon? What did you get up to, mate? I was busy and I'm absolutely knackered. I've got to be honest. Um, Obviously, I, I cover all sports these days. Working for the working for the Daily Express, and on Friday, uh, I looked at the late shift. I was on the late shift, and I was like, "Do you know what? Fancy a bit of live blogging on the uh, sorry, was it Friday, Thursday Europa League final?" And uh, I was like, "I'll live blog the game. I'll live blog the game. This will be a couple of hours. I could pick up some of the some of the leftover bits at the end. We'll all be good." What was supposed to be like a two, two and a half hour live blog turned into a six hour live blog as Manchester United versus Villarreal went all the way through normal time, all the way through extra time, and then through one of the most epic penalty shootouts I think I've ever seen. All 20 uh, outfield players scored their penalties and none of them looked like missing. Then it was down to the two goalkeepers, the Villarreal keeper, uh, Ruli, he scored his and then he saved David De Gea's penalty which I think I could have saved, to be honest. It was an awful penalty. And uh, Villarreal win the Europa League. I did not fall into the same trap on Saturday because I wasn't working late, but I did park myself in front of the telly and watch the Champions League final on BT Sport. Outstanding game of football. Absolutely brilliant game of football. Uh, I think the right team won. I thought Chelsea were the better team on the day. I thought they played superbly. And the best thing about it, Sandu, the Euros are just about a week or so away. The amount of good performances we saw out of England players that day. I know this is an MMA podcast, but it's the Brit Pack, right? And this is going to be all about <laughs> England and the Euros in the summer. The whole country will stop for this. And the amount of good performances from England players was just brilliant. Uh, and uh, the, the only other thing that really dominated my weekend was yesterday. I watched my, one of my favourite sporting events outside of MMA, the Indianapolis 500, which is one of my favourite sporting events of the year. 500 miles, 230 miles an hour. They're covering the length of a football pitch in a second, Sandu. That's how fast they're going. Turning 90 degrees into turn one at 230 miles an hour, barely lifting off. And uh, outstanding, outstanding race at a 46-year-old 
driver by the name of Elio Castro Neves became the fourth man to win four Indy 500 titles. And uh, proving the old guys can do it. Tom Brady can do it. Phil Mickelson can do it. And uh, Elio Castro Neves proved that uh, the old the old boys could do it uh, behind the wheel of a car as well. So, uh, yeah. And as a as a someone in his mid-40s himself, you know, I, I like to side with the golden oldies in sport. So I yes. thoroughly enjoyed myself. So, uh, yeah. And uh, as I sit here talking to you right now, I've got the French Open in front of me. Yeah, staying busy. Well, that's the thing. I think uh, a lot of people may not realise, obviously, we are hardcore MMA fans. We have been working in the MMA industry for a very long time, but we are also massive fans of many other sports. And it was a similar situation in my household, Simon. It was Europa League final, Champions League final. You've got the NBA playoffs going on right now. So I was, I'm trying to catch as many games as I possibly can. because I've, I've, Since I moved... To, to North America, I've really got involved with the NBA. It's, it's, it's quickly becoming one of my favorite sports, to be honest with you, outside of MMA. And, uh, and then there was also AEW, which is kind of like the other major promotion in the world of professional wrestling. And they had what, you know, one of, they, they have four pay-per-views every year, Simon. It's everything else yeah. is free to air on TV, right? Um, but they've kind of taken the old school WWE model where they had their kind of major four tentpole pay-per-views. And they had one of theirs this past weekend, double or nothing. And it was great just to kind of kick back and watch. I didn't tweet about it. I just I stayed off social media and I was just a fan. And I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the show. I think what AEW is doing right now is is amazing. And considering they're still in their infancy and they still have, you know, so so far to go, you can see where they can make their tweaks and changes to improve the product. But where it is right now to where it was. Um, when they first started, it's it's already night and day. So that's what I've got up to my this weekend, Simon, is lots of uh, football, basketball, and good old-fashioned pro wrestling. I saw some. Uh, I saw Chris Jericho and his his um, his entourage coming in all on on zip wires and stuff, and uh, that was that was pretty special. Was it in a baseball stadium or something? Where was that held? So in Jacksonville, Tony Khan owns or oh, his oh. the Khan. The Khan family, they own the, yes. the Jacksonville Jaguars. And yeah. I believe they have kind of like a corner of it called Daly's Place, um, which they've been using as kind of like an outdoor arena for fans over the last couple of shows. And they kind of packed that out. And then what you're referring to, which was the main event, the stadium stampede, was essentially the inner circle, Jericho's crew, versus the pinnacle, MJF's crew. And they were kind of essentially... Uh, battling across the stadium, on the field, on the pitch, um, throughout all the different um, levels of, of the building itself, going through the In the, the head board coach's room. office, I saw Urban yeah. Meyer getting involved, handing a laptop over so Jericho could smack someone over the head with it. I thought it was great. It reminded me of Halftime Heat, uh, The Rock and Mankind, <laughs> many, many years ago. So they're, they're very fortunate. Obviously, the Khan family have got that stadium, have got that facility, uh, to be able to use for one of their other products, which is the AEW. So they did a great job. And, and also, obviously, things are really opening up in America, depending on what state you're in. And just to see the fans back, you know, pretty much in full force and getting involved with the show, with all the chants and everything, it was great. And, and not just for AEW. I've been watching, obviously, like I said, the NBA. And, and depending, again, you know, on what city and what state you're in, you know, the, the Knicks games in Madison Square Garden. Jesus Christ, Simon. Just 
incredible atmosphere. I've never seen a, a live Knicks game whilst they're in the playoffs. Because it's been, I think, seven or eight years, maybe even longer since they've been in the playoffs. And now that they're in, the fans have been starved. And just to see them just make all that noise and create the atmosphere. We've been inside MSG for some big UFC events. We know what it's like when MMA fans and UFC fans get it going. But the Knicks fans, those New Yorkers, man, they're, they're a different beast when, they're, when their team's in the playoffs. So that's been pretty special to watch as well. Yeah, I, I'm not an enormous basketball fan just because it just seems a little bit, it's just a little bit samey, back and forth, back and forth. I think once you properly get into it, it's I think it's yeah. probably outstanding. And when the playoffs kick in, all of a sudden there's too many games. Once mm-hmm. you're in the playoffs, when every game matters, then then I think I could probably really buy into it. So I might have to, I might have to sort of bandwagon jump and get on, get on board with 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 the playoffs and stuff. But but yeah, this is the Brit Pack. This is an MMA podcast. If you stuck with us for the first nine minutes, you might not realise that. But yes, it is indeed an MMA podcast. And after a bit of a quiet week, we are easing our way back in with a UFC fight night at the Apex on Saturday night. And uh, we've got a big heavyweight matchup in the main event. Prefacing this, this is not a stellar card. This is a card with a lot of people who are just kind of outside of championship contention. A lot of prospects looking to move their way up. And uh, one or two one or two guys really looking to make their name for themselves on this card against big name opposition. Let's talk, let's talk about the main event, Sandu. Jazino Rosenstroke versus Augusto Sakaya. Rosenstroke is probably third or fourth best heavyweight in the UFC right now. But the problem he's got is he got absolutely murked by, by Francis Ngannou, which completely killed all of his momentum. And now he's got to try and regroup and work his way back up there. Uh, one of the most dangerous strikers in the division. Anybody who'd only seen him against Francis Ngannou would have no idea about that. But he legitimately is one of the most dangerous knockout threats at heavyweight taking on Augusto Sakai, who has quietly turned himself into a contender at heavyweight. How do you see this one, Sandu? I mean, for me, this looks like a fight that really, this is kind of a prove-it fight for Jazino Rosenstreich. Are you a legit contender? Because if you are, you put Augusto Sakai away. Will he get it done? What do you reckon? I'm not sure. I'll tell you what, Simon. This fight, what it represents to me is the UFC slowly but surely, you know, in the back of their minds thinking, we could have in Francis Ngannou a champion that's going to be sticking around for quite some time, right? And they're obviously got things going on behind the scene, scenes that haven't gone so well with John Jones in regards to getting a deal done. So what they have, what they're left with, is a situation where they're going to probably move ahead with the Derek Lewis fight. You've got that Stipe fight, the trilogy fight, in your back pocket for perhaps later on this year, should Francis Ngannou win. And in the meantime, Simon, they've got to start building contenders. They've got to start building some contenders for the champion if Ngannou gets through 2021 and still. And I've got a feeling that they're probably hoping Augusta Sakai can win because Augusta Sakai is a fresh matchup for Francis Ngannou. We've obviously seen how the Rosenstruck fight went, and I, and I tell you what, Rosenstruck, he's going to have to do something special, Simon. If he wants to try and get into a situation where he's going to be fighting Francis Ngannou specifically for the UFC World Championship, 
he's going to need to absolutely blow through the competition, fight regularly, knock everybody out, make statements, and 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 also call Francis Ngannou out because you've got to try and do as much as you can to get the memory of that loss to Ngannou out of people's memories. And that is not going to be an easy thing to do because it's always going to be on Ngannou's highlight reel. Whereas, like I said, Augusta Sakai, okay, you know, his last outing, it was against Alistair Overeem. It didn't go his way. It was almost like a, an Alistair Overeem veteran masterclass where he kind of took Sakai into deep waters, got the job, job done late in the fifth round. But outside of that, he was riding a six-fight win streak Augusta Sakai knows how to win. So I've got a feeling, and I'm just slightly going to lean towards Sakai here, Simon. I feel as though the Overeem fight and that performance, that would have been a good learning experience for him to go the full 25 minutes almost, right? And and not be able to see it through when it got to those kind of you know, later rounds, those championship rounds. When it got to deep waters, Sakai just managed to fall short and obviously Overeem took control of that situation. So I feel as though that would have been a good learning experience. And although Rosenstruck, listen, he's got dynamite in his hands. He can knock you out in the first second of the, of the fight to the last second of the fight. I feel as though Sakai is going to be, I think, by now and at this stage, clever enough to avoid any situation to get into a firefight with Rosenstruck and, and get a result some way, shape or form. And so I'm going to be sticking with Sakai on this one. Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to go on the other side of the coin. I'm going to go with Jazzino Rosenstreet. Number one, he's called Jazzino, who is one of my favourite footballers of all time. The first, I think he's the only player to score in every round of a World Cup. 1970 World Cup. Look it up. Absolute superstar for the greatest Brazilian team of all time. Uh, I'm sure that's why he's called Jazzino. That's the only reason for it. And uh, he can kick as well, by the way, Jazzino Rosenstreet. He's a solid kickboxer. I just think this matchup, to me, I think... Augusto Sakai is the perfect opponent for Jozino Rosenstruck because Sakai is quite a confident heavyweight. He'll go in there. He will happily stand toe-to-toe with Jozino Rosenstruck. And I think that is a recipe for disaster. Um, I think if Francis Ngannou had stood and traded with uh, Jozino Rosenstruck, it might have been interested, in, interesting. But Ngannou didn't really stand and trade. He just kind of flew at him, winging arms in some sort of crazy fashion and knocked him out. Um and uh, I just think Rosenstroik knows that this is this is really win or bust for him. You know, he's lost two of his last three. Uh, he got knocked out by Ngannou, as we know. He bounced back to finish Junior Dos Santos. And then he fought Cyril Garn in a fight that really, that was the one that he needed to win. And he didn't get it done. He lost on the scorecards to Cyril Garn. It wasn't a good fight to watch. Uh, it was one of those fights where neither one of them really came out with a huge amount of credit. Um so I think this is this is a fight where he really has got to re-establish his reputation as a legit contender and a real threat. So um, make no mistake, he's going for a knockout, and I think he'll get it. I think he'll get it. Unless unless Augusto Sakai decides he's going to just wrestle for the entire fight, I think Josino Rosenstroke will get the job done and will knock him out inside two rounds. But it should be a, it should be a really interesting fight. And as you say, Sandu, we need new contenders, don't we? Every division. We've got the we've got names at the top, but it's always better when you know that there's a new wave of people coming up, uh, up those rankings who maybe aren't contenders right now, but maybe in six months, maybe in nine months, maybe in twelve months, they will be. And I think that's what we're looking at here. Uh, the winner of this probably is going to need another fight, which takes them probably into the the back end of this year, and maybe then 
they're in a position to contend for a belt. But um, it's a big fight in a heavyweight division. And uh, yeah, I'll go with Rosenstruck. So uh, we, we've got both sides of that equation covered. Heavyweights in the co-main event as well, Sandu. Two guys who are very well-respected heavyweights. They've been in the UFC a long time. They've picked up some notable wins. The big ticket, Walt Harris versus Marcin Tybura from Poland. I think this is an excellent piece of matchmaking. I'm looking at how's, how this one's going to pan out. And it's, I think it's a tough one to pick. I really do think it's a tough one to pick because Tybura is as tough as they come. He's got good grappling, uh, but he's quite happy to stand and trade. Walt Harris, his stock in trade is standing and throwing heavy shots. So which side of the coin are you, are you landing on with this one? Yeah, look, Harris is coming off of two losses, Simon, but look at who he's coming off losses against. Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov. I mean, you've got, you know, Alistair Overeem, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time, and you've got Volkov, who's who's always there or thereabouts, kind of knocking on the door of, you know, probably going to... Again, talking about contenders, he'll probably be someone that the UFC is trying to build up to fight for the title of, over the course of the next 18 to 24 months as well. Um, I, I agree with you, Simon. I think this is a good piece of matchmaking. Um, I think... Fighting Martin Tybura stylistically, you know, makes sense. But so, Tybura is coming off of four wins, Simon. He's yeah. the man in form, right? Yeah. And looking at the the form you know, and the results and and what have you, I'm going to just rely on that for this one, Simon, because I haven't seen anything from Walt Harris again, given the competition he's faced over the last couple of fights, to indicate to me that he's made that progression from. Good heavyweight to top-level elite heavyweight can put a string of wins together and and push for the upper echelon. Whereas, you know, Martin Tybura, okay. You can say that his last outing was against Greg Hardy. Fair enough. Prior to that, though, he beat Ben Rothwell, who was just in action this past weekend, who's as you know a wily veteran, you know, who's been there, done everything pretty much and for everyone, the who's who. So yeah, I think I'm going to stick with the guy in form, Simon. I'm going to I'm going to go with Martin Tybura, and I, I think he's going to make it five in a row this weekend with a win over Walt Harris. Yeah, I think I'm going to go the other side again, and I'm not doing this deliberately. <laughs> I'm going to go with Walt Harris because it's not so much about the wins and losses in this particular situation. I think it's about the company that you're keeping, and you take a look at those four wins for uh, Martin Tybura. Yeah, he's in form. He went the distance with Sergei Spivak, uh, more of whom in a minute. He beat Maxim Grishin by decision. Maxim Grishin, not really a top draw UFC heavyweight. Solid, but not top draw. He beat a very, very off-form Ben Rothwell on the scorecards. That really wasn't one of Rothwell's better performances. And then he, he TKO Greg Hardy, which was by far his best display. And that was in December last year. He's had a, a bit of a gap since then. You look at Walt Harris's record, he's two and two from his last four. But look at that Sergei Spivak again. He's on that record as well. He knocked out or TKO'd Sergei Spivak in 50 seconds uh, back in 2019. So contrast that with the fact that Tabura went the distance with him. Walt Harris put him away in less than a minute. He's then been in there with really, really top level opposition. He knocked out Alexei Olenek, who, as we all know, is carved out of pure granite. Well, he knocked him out in 12 seconds. Job done. No problem at all. And then after that, he got finished by Alistair Overeem uh, and then by Alexander Volkov. No shame in that. So I think that kind of puts Walt Harris at a certain level in the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, and it's kind of where Tabura fits within that level. 
Is he better than Alexei Olenek? Is he better than Sergei Spivak? Um, that's the big question. And he's, he's obviously better than Sergei Spivak, but he only beat him on the cards. So this is really, really dodgy MMA maths I'm applying to this. I'm going to go with Walt Harris. Even though the numbers say he's 50-50 in his last four, I'm looking at past records and, and you know how he got on with people at a similar level to guys that Tabura fought. Give me the big ticket. I think he's due a big performance. And uh, I think he also knows that he's when he's back against the wall, two losses in a row, I'm expected to see uh, Walt Harris come out all guns blazing. And I would not be surprised if that fight turns out to be uh, a mini heavyweight classic. I think it could be uh, a real slugfest for as long as it lasts. And uh, I'll take Walt Harris to get the job done on that one. But I think that could be a banger. Um, just taking a look at the rest of this card, Sandu. You know, we said at the start, not jam-packed with uh, with, with star-studded names. I'll chuck out there the, the welterweight fight between Santiago Ponzinibbio and Miguel Baeza. Uh, Ponzinibbio had been out for ages. He'd had so much, so much trouble with illness and injury. And then he came back and everyone hoped or assumed that he'd just bounced back to form. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Had a bit of a nightmare return. Got knocked out in the first round by, by the leech by uh, Li, Li Jingliang. Now, they've not given him an easy out this time either. They've got Miguel Baeza, who's unbeaten and uh, making waves at 170 pounds. That's a fight to watch. Um, but uh, we've got a few other bouts on that on that fight card that are definitely worth uh, picking out, Sandu. Who's on your who's on your must-watch list this weekend? Well, obviously, being a Brit Pat, looking at that main card, Simon, Tom Breeze versus Antonio Arroyo, who... I think this card is going to be, oh, this fight is going to be what opens up the main card. I'm looking for big things out of Tom Breeze, Simon, because let's be honest, he's been real hit and miss over the course of the last, what, we're going back five years now, alternating wins and losses. He seemed, he doesn't seem to be able to get some consistency going um, in his run in the UFC right now. And obviously, there's been major gaps of time taken out of the game to work on his uh, psychology, the mental side of the game. He's spoken about that. He's you know, changed weight classes. He's gone from welterweight to middleweight. So a lot of changes. Um, and, you know, we can only go back to his last performance, which was only a couple of months ago, back in January, uh, lost to Omari Akhmedov, who, <laughs> man, that is a, a, a tough assignment for anybody. Uh, in that weight class. Um, but now, you know, he's back and the UFC are always invested in the UK market. You know, you've got Leon Edwards and Darren Till on the top of the pile in their respective weight classes, really pushing for title contention. You know, both men are only, you know, maybe a win or two away uh, from getting into, you know, a, a situation where they're fighting for the title again. But the UFC continues to, you know, put... The, the Brits in situations where, listen, get, get a few wins together and there's always a, a London card. There's always going to be a card back home in the UK that can help you get that momentum going and get fans behind you and, and, and all the rest of it. Tom Bree Simon needs to stay busy and needs to win. That's the most important thing. I am picking him to win this weekend, um, but I'm going to be looking at his overall performance. Like I want to, I want to see if he's oozing some confidence and has he, you know, been able to improve on the things that perhaps, um, you know, didn't work out for him back in January. So, yeah, that opener from a, a British perspective is the one I've got my uh, my keen eye on. 
Yeah, and uh, following on 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 the same the same topic really. Uh, Mason Jones, the Welsh Dragon, former two division Cage Warriors champion, he's in action earlier on in the night on the prelims against the uh, Brazilian veteran Alan Patrick or Alan Patrick. Uh, I don't know exactly how you want to inflect that name, but Alan Patrick. Um, He's taking on Mason Jones. Mason Jones was unbeaten heading into the UFC. He was 10-0, absolutely flying, lost his debut. Uh, lost his debut, an absolute banger of a fight with Mike Davis um, back in January. Now he's back, and he's going to be looking to uh, put on a show against Patrick, who's 15-3, and and uh, is coming off back-to-back -back losses, uh, although those losses were separated by about three years, so um, or two years, rather. So, yeah, it's... It's 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 a winnable fight for Mason Jones, and he will have to win it. And uh, give you an idea, Alan Patrick's last fight, he lost on the scorecards to Bobby Green. Bobby Green's been around for ages, good technical striker, um, someone who was once considered a bit of a fringe contender at 155 pounds. Mason Jones really needs to go out there and uh, see if he can get the job done inside the distance, make a bit of a statement, and announce himself on the stage as a threat at 155 pounds. That first fight was outstanding. The only thing missing really was a bit of head movement. He was a little bit too easy to hit uh, in his first fight. So hopefully he will have, uh, he will have worked on that. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what improvements he's made uh, into that one. And one more just to chuck in there, Sandu. Uh, Makwan Amir Khani is back. Makwan Amir Khani is back on this card. He's taking on Kamwella Kirk um, in a featherweight matchup. Uh, his fight, based on the fight listing I have here on Tapology, which is normally pretty accurate, he's going to be the bout just before Tom Breeze. So that'll either be first bout of the main card or the uh, the featured prelim. So uh, he's down to take on Kamwella Kirk. Makwan Amikani, we all know uh, what he's capable of when he's at his best. He's such a, such a, a smothering, uh, dominant wrestler. And uh, if he can get the job done, and uh, rebound from that decision loss to Edson Barboza, then he'll be back in the win column and he can start chasing some bigger names as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing Macron back in there again. Yeah, but overall, Simon, I think, you know, the, the way you kicked off this segment, this isn't the biggest card. It doesn't have the sexiest names. Um, I think everyone's already got one eye on, on the following weekend, which is like a major pay-per-view. And, and I usually think that the UFC puts on cards like this typically to showcase some younger talent, showcase some prospects, keep their roster busy, at the same time, use it as a reminder during the program, hey, big pay-per-view coming up next weekend. So I'm sure we'll see lots of promos about Diaz, Edwards, and the return of Stylebender and, and everything else going on on that card. But when you've got a weekend off, like we had, had this past weekend, and the UFC returns, it's always a good thing, right? So for us, it keeps us busy, gives us something to talk about, and let's see what happens. You know, sometimes these are the cards, Simon, where there's some crazy finishes, someone makes a name, somebody makes a statement, and if I'm the, any of these fighters on a card like this, where it's literally, hey, listen, show up, and whether you're the first fight on the card or the last fight, you've got an opportunity to make a statement and steal the show and grab all the headlines. So let's see what happens. Yeah, and... Uh... Seeing as we, we sort of kicked that off talking about two heavyweight fights, Tanner Boza and Ilya Latifi are going to fight at heavyweight. That could be a lot of fun as well. So uh, that's on the prelims as well. That is UFC Fight Night. That is this weekend from the Apex, June the 5th. And uh, yeah, let's see how all that goes. 
as we get the UFC machine rolling again, heading into a really, really busy summer. And uh, it's not been a massive week for, for UFC or MMA news, but there's been a few a few notables that have dropped over the course of the last, last seven days. Not least of all, Sandu, that John Jones. Now, we know that he was kind of on the outs with the UFC. It looked like he was... He's kind of fallen out of favour with the UFC. They couldn't agree that Francis Ngannou fight. And uh, he then separated from uh, his management, first round management. He now has new representation. And this could be a bit of a game changer, Sandy, because former boxing uh, promoter Richard Schaefer, or boxing executive rather, Richard Schaefer, is now going to represent John Jones. Um, very interesting move indeed. Dana White kind of gave it his blessing. Um, which is which is uh, a positive. Does this mean John Jones is back in the mix? He talks about potentially hanging around and getting himself fully up to weight before getting in there and maybe not coming back until this time next year. But does this change anything, Sandu? I'm not sure. If anything, Simon, I may be just slightly more confident than I was before. Here's a quote that Dana White gave ESPN with regards to Rich Schaefer being appointed John Jones's new advisor. I like Richard, Dana White said. I've known Richard for a long time, and obviously he built Golden Boy. He built that company. He knows what he's doing. He's a smart guy. I like and respect him, and if we can get something done, we will. Now, that is probably the most positive comment Dana White has given with regards to, let's just call it the John Jones camp, right? What John Jones needs to do, Simon, right now is not get into a war of words or you know, any type of battle or any, any of those kind of things on social media against Dana White of the UFC. It will not do him any good whatsoever. I think that's been one of the reasons Dana White's been so... Yeah, tough on on Jones. There's just been so much animosity. You know, you can just tell coming from John Jones over the course of pretty much the last year. You know, he said things things about Dana White. He said some things about the UFC, his contract negotiations, money, and obviously Dana White then asked about John Jones and interviews. And you know, he's going to rely on on his go-to line, which is, "Oh, John Jones doesn't want the fight." There's many ways to say no, and there's many ways to decline a fight without actually declining a fight. So <clears throat> there's been a lot of that going on. With Richard Schaefer now involved, obviously he's coming from the boxing world. He knows pay-per-view really well. He knows um, how to negotiate deals. He knows all the various revenue streams. And, and I think there was a quote that came out last week from one of the interviews that he did where he basically said that he hopes to get to a situation or where he thinks the situation is most likely to end up is where where both parties aren't exactly happy with the deal, but it's a deal that they want to get done. And I thought that was a really interesting line from Schaefer as well. So look, do I think the John Jones and Garnu fight is going to happen this year? No. I think the UFC are going to stick with Derek Lewis and, and then essentially move on to the Stipe Miocic trilogy fight. That will give time for A, John Jones, to continue to bulk up and get into heavyweight shape. He's obviously been putting a lot of time in, in the gym. You go to his social media and he's 
you know, throwing out all sorts of clips of him working out and exercising. That will also then give time for Richard Schaefer to hopefully work some magic behind the scenes with Dana White. And the most important thing, Simon, this sport is all about timing. It is so unpredictable. Derek Lewis might win and just change everything. Ngannou might win. A fight with Stipe Miocic may then be booked. Miocic may then be injured. And then they may need to recall, you know, call on John Jones to come in, just like they did with Jorge Masvidal. Remember, not too long ago, Jorge Masvidal was playing hardball. Him and his team were playing hardball with the UFC to get the, the, the right deal for them for the Kamaru Usman fight. And it literally took, what, a week or two's notice for the UFC to call up Jorge Masvidal and then finally essentially give him a deal that he was happy to sign to fight Kamaru Usman on short notice. That's not ideal for anyone, but if you're here to make the big bucks, sometimes that's the only way you're going to get it done with the UFC. So let's see what happens. Um, but yeah, like I said, I am not confident of that fight taking place this year. However, I am confident that, or I am slightly more confident that Richard Schaefer can try and get this fight trending in the right direction. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, I also agree that it, it isn't going to happen this year unless there's some crazy turn of events, that, as, as as you described. Let's not forget, Derek Lewis has a win over Francis Ngannou. So, you know, they have fought before. I was there. It sucked. It was a terrible fight. But Derek Lewis won. Derek Lewis won that fight. So that could happen again. That could happen again. You know, history could repeat itself and we could be talking about Derek Lewis, UFC heavyweight champion, which would be awesome, right? Let's be honest. Derek Lewis as UFC heavyweight champion would just be phenomenal. But Francis Ngannou is the scariest heavyweight on the planet. John Jones is technically the best fighter on the planet. That's a fight we want to see, right? Can skill beat outright power, you know? And and that, that that's what we want to see. Um, the other thing I'd love to see happen, and this is... John Jones can be really good on social media. He could be really good on social media. And there's other times where you just think, John, put the phone down. Put the phone down. Walk away. Don't keep tweeting and deleting because it's the most, it's, it's so infuriating and it doesn't do him, his brand or his reputation any good. If I were Richard Schaefer, I would get his people to basically take over John Jones's uh, social media and just say to John, John, step back. Just let us handle all of your external communications. You are a professional athlete. Your job is to get yourself ready to fight for the UFC heavyweight title against whomever that champion may be at the time. You, your social media, you could always go back to. It's always there. You're not going to lose a million followers overnight. Let my social media people run your account. We'll put some nice stuff out. We can, we can, uh, we can consult on the kind of messages you want to put out there. We'll portray the best of John Jones on social media. We can keep people up to speed with, with training. We can do everything we need to do, but please let us take it over. Let's remove all of the downside of social media for you and also remove the need for you to even touch it. That will then help with the, with the negotiations as well, I am sure, right? So let that happen as well. That's, that, that's what I'm hoping. And if John buys into that kind of approach and just lets Schaefer and his team do what they need to do. I have no doubt in my mind that John Jones will fight for the UFC heavyweight title by by the summer of 2022. Um, and we could be talking about John Jones, the greatest UFC fighter of all time, beyond debate, beyond argument. Because if he goes and beats Francis Ngannou, I think that's pretty much what we're looking at, right? So that's what I'm hoping to see. And 
we know that John has uh, he's sort of flirted with triumph and disaster through his whole career in in different ways. As someone who's covered the sport and watches him as an athlete, I want to see him succeed. I want to see the best of John Jones. I want to see him go in there and show the world what an incredible athlete he is. All the other stuff outside of that, hopefully that can be taken care of. And it seems like he's on he's on a much a much better uh, trajectory right now. He seems to be focused on what he's doing. Remove all the other external issues. Let the management take over the social media. Do what you've got to do and get in there and see if you can win a belt again. That's what I'd like to see. So it's going to be interesting to see how quickly a deal can be done. or Because the ideal thing if you're the UFC, in my opinion, is get a deal signed as soon as possible, even if you're going to long date it and say, right, John Jones is going to challenge for the belt in two defenses time, three defenses time, what it, you know, whatever it might be. You know, the next two defenses are up for grabs. Defense number three from now is going to be versus John Jones. Champion TBC versus John Jones. And that might be International Fight Week 2022. Right? Get it in get it in the book now. And then everything up to that can be John Jones' journey. And then that can be sold by the UFC. It can be sold by John Jones and his management team. And then you've just got this nice long run build up. And then it becomes a John Jones sweepstakes. Who's going to have the belt? And I think that would be a compelling angle. So I wouldn't mind seeing that happen, but um, chances are it probably won't. And it'll just be everything up in the air and we'll know when we know. And, you know, but I'd love to see that because I think that would be a little bit of long sighted thinking. And I think that will work really well. But, um, that's John Jones and Richard Safer. I, I think it's a partnership that could work. Um, if if uh, if Jones can just let Schaefer do his thing, I see nothing but success for him. Um, we have had a fight booking. I know that John Jones John Jones's next fight hasn't been booked, Sandu, but we have an absolute banger at 145 pounds. We have wondered for a while what the UFC might do with Max Holloway. Now we know. Well, Simon, this one. I'm not going to lie, came out of the blue and caught me completely off guard. Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez is booked, going down on a fight night card on Saturday, July 17th, quite literally one week after Dustin Poirier versus <coughs> Conor McGregor 3. July is stacked anyway as it is, right? But to throw this, this fight in the mix in July is absolutely insane. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit, Simon. Yair Rodriguez hasn't fought since his win over Jeremy Stevens, October of 2019. Then there was all this momentum, right, going into uh, a potential fight with Zabit Magomed Sharipov. But according to some recent reports, it looks as though Zabit is battling some personal health issues. Is he going to fight again? there's a lot of you know questions that we don't have the answers to right now with regards to Zabit and his long-term health and the future of his professional fighting career. And quite clearly and evidently, he's been on the shelf. He hasn't fought in a while. And now you have Max Holloway, Simon, who in many people's eyes should be holding that UFC featherweight championship. And although he lost his last few fights to Alexander Volkanovsky, comes in to 2021 and arguably still has the title and holds the best performance of the year. What he did 
to Calvin Cater to kick off the year on January 16th is still absolutely remarkable and just scintillating stuff. Like some of the, the best striking, especially boxing, I have ever seen in mixed martial arts competition. So you've got Max Holloway, who's red hot. Everyone's hoping he can fight for the UFC featherweight championship once again. But we have a situation with a title picture where Brian Ortega, Alexander Volkanovsky, they've been filming The Ultimate Fighter. Their fight isn't officially booked. There's some indication, and I think Volkanovsky told Joe Rogan that they're looking at September. Well, okay, if they fight in September, depending on the outcome of the fight and who wins and injuries, they may not be able and ready to go until maybe the end of the year, maybe even early 2021. So you've got Max Holloway, Simon, who's thinking, well, A, I want to keep busy. I want to continue to get paid. I can't you know, just stay on the shelf and wait for these guys to figure out the situation that in the title picture. I don't want to get rusty. Put me in there with a legitimate top guy, uh, an exciting guy, and that's exactly what the UFC have done. With Yair Rodriguez now, Simon, I really feel like this is going to be one of those situations where it's sink or swim. If you beat Max Holloway, Simon, boom you are going to take a rocket ship to the front of the line. You're going to be right there in the title picture, in contention to fight the champion later on this year, early 2022. If you lose to Max Holloway now, then a lot of the, the momentum that you've built up and you've been building, especially if Holloway does to you what he did to Calvin Cater, it demystifies what you're able to do. It demystifies what Yair Rodriguez can potentially bring to the table. It's a great fight, Simon, on paper. This one should be an absolute banger, as the kids say. Those are my thoughts. I have no idea how this is going to play out. Early prediction is I'm leaning towards Max Holloway, who's just, I feel as though, even without the belt, is in the best, I guess, form of his of his life. I, I don't want to say form in terms of results, but I feel like he's peaking. What he's... What he's doing in the octagon now, just given what you know, what he did against Calvin Cater in January, feels like to me that this is now the peak years of Max Holloway's career, and it's going to be a very tall order for Yair Rodriguez, El Pantera. Yeah, and Rodriguez has been out for so long, right? To then come back and to take on Max Holloway, I can't think of a worse matchup for him. You know, I, I know like the upside of beating him is enormous. But my goodness me, you've been out for as long as you have. And then they're putting you in with the man with the endless gas tank. I mean, when have you ever seen Max Holloway get tired in a fight? When have you ever seen Max Holloway get outstruck in a fight? You know, Max Holloway is an absolute monster at 145 pounds. He is the best 145 pound fighter in the world for my money. All due respect to the champ, Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, for me, Max Holloway right now is the best featherweight on the planet. So it's a big upside if you can get it done. Honestly, I, I I would be putting the house on, on Max Holloway to win this. And I'm sure that this will come back and bite me in the ass at some point because that's that's what my predictions tend to do. But Max Holloway, to me, is a class above Yair Rodriguez. I think the only thing that can stop Max Holloway is some bolt from the blue knockout, like we saw from Yair Rodriguez against the Korean Zombie where he produced that ridiculous elbow that, that sparks out the Korean zombie in a fight. I thought the zombie was going to win. So uh, it was, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm very surprised that he's still ranked third in the featherweight division, you know, having been out for as long as he has. So he's still ranked third. Everybody above him is either involved in a title fight 
or call Max Holloway. So uh, this is this is the best available matchup if you're Max Holloway. Um, you're not having to fight anyone further down the rankings. But really, this is a huge opportunity for, for Yair Rodriguez. I fear that it is going to be a little bit too much too soon. If he was coming in on... You know, he'd had an active year leading in and he'd fought three times in the last 12 months and he'd won convincingly. Then I'm like, okay, this guy's ready for Max. But he hasn't. And I'm not sure he is. So give me Max Holloway. I don't think there's a featherweight on the planet I would pick over him right now. Um, and uh, assuming Holloway is in the sort of frame of mind that he was in when we saw him against Calvin Cater, then my goodness me, I think we could be in for another masterclass. It could be... It could be another fantastic performance. The only downside, I guess, is that you laid it out perfectly about the featherweight championship picture and the, the level of uncertainty around it. Should this fight have been for the interim title? That's what I that's what I don't understand. I mean, for me, given the status of Holloway, given the form that he's in, and given the the rather fluid picture in terms of when this title fight's gonna happen between Volkanovski and Kiet and um Ortega. I would I would have made this uh, as a as a, as a pay per view fight. I would have made it as an interim title fight, as a co main event somewhere, um, because I think it's just a little insurance policy for the division. That's what I would have done. But uh, delighted to see Holloway back. Good to see uh, El Pantera back as well. Really looking forward to seeing him back in there. And uh, it's going to be a great fight. It is going to be a fantastic fight. And uh, yeah. Hawaii, Hawaii all the way. I think Max Holloway's going to get it done. But uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's 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 a fantastic matchup. It really is, and uh, we've got some big ones coming coming down the pipe in uh, in the next few months, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, July is absolutely stacked. You know, we've got a bit of a quiet UFC card this weekend, but the following weekend we've got a massive pay per view. PFL are going to be run, rolling into the second half of their regular season. You've got Bellator, you've got Cage Warriors about to do a whole bunch of events very, very soon. They're going to be making ways into California, if I'm not mistaken, later on yep. this year. So it's all happening. It's all happening. And the most important thing is with the way the world is seemingly getting back to normal, I think fans being back in arenas, fans being back in the stadiums, that's going to start to get normalized once again, obviously in, 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 a, in a safe manner. That adds a lot of uh, value to promotions when they go to you know various territories and markets and cities and states. So yeah, it's it's all fun times, man. I can't wait. And you got fights like Max Holloway versus y Yair Rodriguez. That's going to be headlining a fight night card, Simon. The week after Poirier McGregor three. So you're not going to even be able to you know get your breath back after that monumental pay per view in Las Vegas, and then you're going to be having to gear up for a fantastic fight in the featherweight division. It doesn't, doesn't get better than this. It's going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. And the return of fans is just is just the best. And we're seeing it in other sports as well. Um, but in, in MMA, which has done an incredible job without fans, having fans back, and we've seen it at the pay-per-views, it just puts another layer on top, doesn't it? And uh, you've got the McGregor fight. Can, can you imagine Conor McGregor fighting in an empty room uh, against Dustin Poirier in a trilogy fight? It would just be wrong, wouldn't it? It would just be yeah. wrong. It doesn't make sense. Hopefully, that won't happen. We're going to have a full house, and that's going to be huge. We've got so much to look forward to uh, as the as the year progresses. And a uh, couple of Brits on the card this weekend. Tom Breeze, Mason Jones. Fingers crossed for them. 
and uh, we will report back on their progress and their performances on next week's show. Sandu, how can everyone get the show? How can everyone get involved? Right, the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. If you go to that website, that is the best spot for everyone to go to because from there, you can find us on Apple, Spotify. You can follow the show on social media. You can follow both Simon and myself on social media. Appreciate everyone that listens to the show and, and subscribes and, and rates. And you can find us on YouTube now. Video will be coming later on this year. So if you're one of those people that likes to listen to podcast via the youtube app that's available for you and finally for those of you that listen to us on apple podcasts do us a solid favor rate and review us because on the apple platform specifically that's how shows get found by new audiences that's how the actual show gets found by you know yeah new listeners and that's how the show gets promoted and stuff like that so that's the best place to go Awesome, awesome. Slightly sh shorter show than usual this week, but uh, you can bet that we will be uh, absolutely packed with talking points as we build up to uh, the next big UFC pay-per-view. We've got a lot to unpack this weekend, but loads to talk about on next week's show. Have a great weekend. The weather in the UK right now is gorgeous. I'm looking at blue skies out of my window, and uh, I'm sure it's pretty similar over there in, in Canada right now. So, uh, hope enjoy enjoy the weekend it's a bank holiday uh right now and uh enjoy the weekend and we will speak to you next week yeah.